Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Let's face it, life can be downright difficult, but did you know that you were made to live in Christ's victory? Scripture reminds us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it's spiritual. Discover how we can move through life's hardest moments as Pastor Andy talks about the armor of God in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Enjoy the message. All right, we are in our final part of Not Today, Satan, and we're going to end this series talking about something that we all want to achieve. It's called victory. Who wants to be victorious uh, at the end of your life? Who wants to be victorious, huh? Right? Who wants to live in victory? And, but yet, even followers of Christ, sometimes we're not living in victory. Sometimes we come in and we're just letting the, the, letting the week, letting our filled calendar, our hard conversations, or maybe you've been paying a, a, attention to politics way too much. I, I, this year, I've, I've listened to the least amount ever. I'm doing some research now, but it's like, it's just too depressing. And I can't even get away from it from, you know, when, if you're watching YouTube, if you're watching Netflix or whatever, and you're seeing all these different guys saying how awful they are. I'm like, Oh, please, right? And so it is so negative out there, and it's so easy for us to walk around thinking, man, I'm just a victim, right? We're going to talk about victory. You are not a victim. We're going to talk about how to finish off this life, finish off the battle in a way that you are victorious. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, if you want to turn there, or in your Kenosha City Church app. And as you're turning there, I... I, I I'm going to bring up just how interested we are as a society when it comes to the things of Satan, all right? Um, growing up, I went to a thing, the equivalent of what we would call city kids here. Uh, it was called children's church, all right? Now, the thing I love about city kids here uh, at Kenosha City Church is that we have the conviction that the kids aren't the church of tomorrow. They are the church of right now. We need to reach the next generation right now. Now, and it's so important that we do this because if the church isn't committed of reaching the next generation right now, you know who's going to reach them? Who? Yeah, the, the enemy, right? The culture, uh, happenstance will reach our children. And we know that our children are, 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 the, are the main target, really, of a culture gone sideways today. And so we need to invest into our kids. We need to invest uh, a biblical theology uh, with our kids. We need to invest where our kids don't have a, a, a kiddie theology where they, you know, get to 12th grade and they graduate from Jesus. We want them to own their faith. And when they go to college, they're sharing their faith. And one of the biggest things that we do here is that we have what's called consistency. Uh, we want to have our teachers that are consistent each and every week as we invest in them. And you know what? If you're not serving somewhere, I, wanna, I want you to pray to God this week. Should I start serving in city kids? It is, it is the epicenter of what the enemy wants to flip, and that is our children. Now, Again, as I said, growing up, we didn't have something like city kids. My kids cry when they can't come to church. They beg me to come to church, and that's exactly our vision. We want our kids to beg their parents to come to church. I was begging my parents not to go to church. All right, our, our kids program was a, a, a bit of a happenstance. It was just, you never knew who was gonna show up. And so you had these rotating teachers. Sometimes they wouldn't show up. It was weird. Sometimes you'd sit in a Sunday school room and you're like, well, I guess no one's here. Let's just wander the church, all right? And that was our upbringing. And so, but there was one teacher in particular. He'd come around once a year and everybody liked this teacher because this teacher talked about demons, all right? He talked about all the demonic activity he's seen in life and we'd all lean in. 
And whenever he'd come around once a year, I'm like, hey, will you tell the story of the laser beams? It's like, yes, this guy was burning all his demonic books and laser beams hit him in the center of the eyes. I'm like, whoa, I can still remember that story today. But what really resonates in my mind, it's a question I had even in high school. I began to think of this. I'm like, why is it that whenever the Sunday school teacher with the demon stories would come to Sunday school and teach us kids, why did we always lean into that? Why did we always lean in and we're enamored by the power of the enemy or the demonic? Why is that? And it's a question that's bothered me. Because yes, the enemy is powerful. Yes, the enemy, if you're not walking underneath the covering of Jesus, is dangerous for you. Why is it that we lean in and we want to hear these stories? And is it because we're minimizing the potential and the actual power and the all-powerful nature and the miraculous nature that we have in our God? I say, I think that might be it. The enemy likes to show off his counterfeit power to where we forget about the unparalleled strength and victory we have in Jesus. We have a real enemy, don't make no mistake, a, a spiritual enemy. The Bible says it's one that's not of flesh or, or blood, but one that masquerades as an angel of light. Not a, a devil in a red spandex suit with a pitchfork, but one that is often unseen and wrecks havoc in your lives. And he wants you to forget, if you're a follower of Christ, that you have victory. He wants you to forget that this morning. Have you forgotten it this week? What is that thing that is conspiring against you realizing if you're in Christ, you're a victor? See, here's the main idea this morning. Satan says you're a victim. Satan says you're a victim while Jesus says you're a victor. Satan's saying you're a victim this morning. Jesus wants to remind you, if you have placed your faith and trust in Christ alone, you are already victorious life might be hard but you have victory in the palm of your hands but too often people too often people will say you know how oh, the devil made me do it i've been tempted I, I i just can't win in victory well here's the deal we need to be people of personal responsibility i said this last week uh, too often we like to abrogate our re responsibility to somebody else or we bounce off what's going on in our life and we project it towards others. And often we project it towards Satan. Yes, Satan might be the one who is tempting you, maybe, maybe it's just yourself, but Satan may be tempting you with something, but he can never make you do something. C.S. Lewis says this. When it comes to the demonic, people usually fall into one of two errors. Either they take him altogether too seriously or they do not take him seriously enough. Now, I believe that we can take the, the devils too seriously in the sense that, uh, you know, oh, he's under every rock and he's made me do this and, oh no, my life is out of control. But I have also seen, especially followers of, followers of Christ, that they underestimate the devil's ways. They forget that you have a real enemy that hates you. Did you know that? He doesn't want to see you succeed. He doesn't want to see you be victorious. He doesn't want to see you on mission. He doesn't want to see God move through you. He doesn't. And he'll do anything to stop you. But that's kind of scary in itself, right? Jesus Christ is greater than that. Jesus Christ is greater than any scheme of the enemy. Any, any, any flaming arrow from the enemy. And that's why... Satan wants you to look at his schemes and make you feel like you're a victim and wallow in your victimhood 
while Jesus is saying, no, 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 you are, a, you are victorious. You're victorious in Jesus Christ. So as a result, we're going to look at two ways that you must remember if you're going to live victorious this morning. We need to remember the strength that you have is from the Lord. And secondly, you need to be intentional. Let's look at our first point this morning. Our strength is from the Lord. If you're going to be victorious, you need to understand you have very little to do with it, all right, at first, all right? If, if you're going to be victorious, you need to turn to the strength that is not from yourself, it's from the Lord. We see this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strengthened, here it is, by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. We see two exhortations here in this passage. We see one to be strengthened by the Lord. Be strengthened in the Lord and put on the armor of God. In the Greek, we see the strengthened is in the passive voice. If it's passive, it means it's an action that's being done to you. If you're to be strengthened, you need somebody to strengthen you. And that's specifically what we see here is the Lord God Almighty. So what this means is this. All too often, people are trying to win victory in Christ by trying to prove themselves in their own strength. You will fail. You will fail each and every time. You'll get tired. Uh, you, we don't have it inside of us to be victorious against the schemes of the enemy. That is why we have to be strengthened by the Lord and by his spirit. If you've made Jesus Christ your savior, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And it is a command from scripture, uh, what we see in Ephesians chapter five, it's a command of scripture uh, that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You cannot be strengthened with the Lord apart from the Lord. The power we need is supernatural nature. It's not natural. It's not just intellect. It's not just knowing things. Those are important. But we need the Lord. And this is, this is why, Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Now that term flesh and blood, it just means humanity. We are flesh and blood. Which means this, our battle, often we think of, oh, it's that person, oh, it's that job, oh, it's that boss, oh, it's this country, oh, it's these people, right? Those people, and, and, and when Paul's saying, look, you're missing the point. You've got to look further beyond this. It's not primarily flesh and blood. It's spiritual. It's something in the unseen, and often the enemy manifests himself not in, in, not in just plain sight, but undercover, in the unseen, he influences nations and leaders and families and, and you. And remember, when things are just going a little bit nuts. Have you ever been in a situation like, man, this took a turn to Nutterville, right? Like, how'd that happen, right? And then you just keep going. Oh, yeah? Oh, I can't believe you said that. Oh, and your blood's just, your, your eyes are popping out. Uh, pause! What do you think's happening? Yeah, you just could have a tell. Oh, it's my temper. Oh, it's just what we do. Yeah, but who's like cheering you on? Yes, go, go, do more. Yes, the enemy, right? The enemy wants you to keep going and ignore there is an unseen spiritual battle for your minds, for your affections, for your future. It was windy yesterday, wasn't it? That was an understatement, right? Half of Kenosha County didn't even have power. We had, a, we had a baby shower at my in-law's house. They didn't have power, right? 
we had to hook up a generator to the camper van so, so people could go to the bathroom because our, the, the water was on a, on a well pump, right? That was fun, but it was actually a great party. Uh, but like, hey, why not, right? But for some of you that weren't in darkness yesterday, uh, maybe you had lawn chairs that, that blew to the neighbor's yard. I know I had a pile of leaves I was supposed to get to. They're gone now, all right? Sorry, neighbors. <laughs> You can't see the wind is the old saying, right? But you can see the effects. Oh, you can say that about the enemy. Yes, he'll manifest himself. Like, oh, that looks demonic. Oh, look at that guy. He has horns, right? But most often, he will be in the unseen, and you can see the destruction trail a mile long. Remember, you may not be able to see the enemies face to face, but you can see his effects. Remember, if you are going to be a victor, you can't have a victim mindset when the effects of the attacks of the enemy hit you. You have to prepare. You have to prepare to succeed. You have to prepare for war. And in, in the moments of just craziness, you have to learn how to pause, get on your knees and say, God, life is crazy right now. And if I keep on going in this, I'm gonna join the crazy train. I need you, God. I need your spirit to overcome my mind to overcome my body, to overcome my, my aspirations. I need to hear your voice. Remember, the enemy is not God's equal. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He's a defeated foe. But without Christ, he is dangerous. Dangerous. Satan says you're a victim while Jesus says you're a victor. You will live as a victim if you do not run to Jesus and understand his victory. Our strength is from the Lord. Secondly, our victory must be intentional. It must be intentional. Victory is never accidental, typically, right? Like, we had two teams that were in the World Series. I, you rarely give baseball illustrations, but a second week in a row, but it's the World Series, and again, uh, I think Houston beat the Phillies, right? Okay? Do you think either of those teams could have made it on accident? Uh, they didn't practice, uh, they didn't care about their other 100-plus games. In their, no, they didn't. They, they, they practiced, they, they studied tapes, they, they, they were intentional in trying to get to the playoffs and eventually the World Series. I remember when I realized I wasn't being intentional with something. It's called geometry. They say you're either, either an algebra person or a geometry person. I was neither. <laughs> at least at that time. And I knew, I didn't know I was struggling in geometry. I, was, I, I went through algebra. I'm like, well, I didn't do so well in algebra, so geometry must be my gig. And so I'm like, I'm just going to get an A in it. Until during one of the tests, this nice teacher happened to go to my church, said, went down to my desk, and said, the teacher's going to talk to me. Gets to eye level and says, Andy, I want you to know, currently, you're getting a D. <laughs> I've never gotten a grade like that before. I'm like, What? Oh, no, 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 you got the wrong person. Uh, these guys are high half the time over here. I'm, uh, wait, what? They're getting a better grade than me? And I realized, uh, okay, I got a problem. I wasn't being intentional, and I was almost failing the class. So what did I do? Went home, got in trouble, and I got intentional, all right? And I started studying after school. I found a mentor, and I got that grade all the way up, I believed like an A-minus, but I was shocked. Why? I, w 
wasn't being intentional. Maybe you've had other moments in your life where you weren't intentional and you just had a shock. Your health, you go to the doctor, you go to your physical and like, well, all your numbers are off. I can't believe it. Have you exercised? No. What's your, what's your diet? Donuts. All right? We're just shocked. Maybe you're shocked about your marriage. It's like, uh, you know, we're just fighting all the time. Like, do you go on date nights? No. Well, start there. Uh, somebody go, uh-oh, you're nudging. All right, yep, go on a date night. Some of you with your job, you, get, you, you, you think you're doing the right thing? You get your review and you're like, what job do I even work at? Like, why didn't you tell me these things? You gotta be intentional because it'll, it'll creep right back on us and we'll realize we're drowning. Being intentional is to have a vision for the future. You're able to see a specific desired outcome for the future while knowing the realities that are on the ground. And with this comes an understanding of your purpose. And this will dictate your purpose when you understand what it is for life. It'll dictate what you do, what you fill your life with. Our mission at Kenosha City Church is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who personally connect people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the gospel changes everything. We want to see you fully devoted, like Christ. That is our vision and, 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 and purpose and our mission. It's to see every single one of you, not just know Christ, but to make him known throughout this city. What we see here, you have to be intentional if you're going to be with mission. It's not just good enough to know it. It's not good enough for me to say, is your church on mission? Yeah, I told them the mission statement on a Sunday in, in November, uh, and, and they got it. No, that, that's not it. It's that we have to know it, but we got to live it. we got to live out our purpose and our mission and our vision for it, to, for it to, to be something. And, you know, a church, every church has their nice, you know, mission statement and vision statement. But we're all ripping it off from the same book. We should be. If it's not, then they got the wrong mission, okay? Uh, it's, it's usually from Acts, uh, Acts, Acts chapter 1 or Matthew 28, where Jesus gives the commission to the church. Go make disciples. People are like, man, that's just boring. We'll take it up with Jesus. I mean, that, that's, I don't know what else we want, right? We're not just another 501c3. Jesus gave us a specific mission until he comes back. But what happens is, is that when we don't live out this mission in affection and action, uh, when the, when the church is not gospel first, the community descends into a social club. And this is where Satan wants us. He wants us to gather in a filled room this morning, but off mission. He wants us to gather in this room this morning as just, all right, I'm going to take in, but I'm never going to push the kingdom out. Does that make sense? That's, that's where the enemy wants us this morning. He wants you to have your cares of this world Top the cares of an eternal mandate. I'm going to give you a quote. I updated it just a, a bit because it's an old quote, but it's from, originally from Chad Welsh. Millions of Christians live in a sentimental haze of vague piety with familiar worship music and Christian catchphrases. Their religion is a thing of pleasant emotional quivers, divorced from the will, divorced from the intellect, and demanding little except lip service to name a few harmless platitudes. I suspect Satan has called off the attempt uh, to convert people to agnosticism. 
If a man travels far enough away from Christianity, he's always in danger of seeing it in perspective and deciding that it's true. It is much safer, therefore, from Satan's point of view, to vaccinate a man with a mild case of Christianity so as to protect him from the real thing. Woo, right? Have we been vaccinated with Christianity? We shouldn't be, because we need to get it. And when we get it, it goes viral, right? We're at war with a spiritual enemy in the unseen that wants us to be complacent with our view of who Jesus is. Complacent in mission, complacent in our own lives to where we fit in with culture. But we're to be counterculture. If you're going to be victorious in what Christ wants, you need to be intentional. And by the way, when you are intentional with the Lord, I want to give you a guarantee this morning. I'm not going to give you a guarantee that life is going to be easy. I'm not going to give you a guarantee of the different things that you want in your life or possessions you're going to receive. But I will give you this guarantee. You can write it down and you can take it to heaven with you. If you're intentional with the things of the Lord, you will win. You will be victorious. Do you believe that? Ephesians 6.13 for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist the evil day and having prepared everything, take your stand. Take your stand. When I was installed as a pastor, we had a service to celebrate uh, my installation as a, a lead pastor. And my dad called and he said, Andy, I have a great gift for you. I said, what is this gift? And he's like, oh, you're going to love it. It's going it's gonna, to it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna change your life. It's going to be something that God's going to speak through. I'm like, man, what is this? I, I know what he's going to do. Uh, he's going to give me an inspirational, uh, he's going to give me a, a nice Bible with an inspirational letter in it. Or, or maybe he'll just give me a card and there'll be like a gift card. And I like that too. And so Starbucks, all right? So uh, yeah, I'll go, yeah, that'd be awesome, Dad. Thank you. He goes, no, 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 it's already in your office. So I get done with this installation service. I, I get to the office my kids are running the office because they heard him talking about it and immediately they come to my glass door and they begin to scream and cry they were little at this time i'm like oh my goodness what did he get me and he got me this thing it was sitting standing on my desk i'm like you got me a, a knight and he goes yeah armor armor of god i was like i i, I don't even know if my five-year-old could fit in this thing but oh okay wh where do you want me to put it he goes the living room i was like my living room at home It is in a corner in my office, all right? So, and, I, and when I first received this thing, there'd be a few nights I had to come in here late, and, and I'd forget it was in there, and I'd flip my light on, and I was like, oh! <laughs> so my dad thought I should have this, because he wanted me to be, be reminded that you're going to go to battle, that you're going to need the whole armor of God on at all times. And it reminds me, even though it's funny, I mean, look at this guy. Anyway, it reminds me of this is that we need to put on the full armor of God, or we are sitting ducks to the attacks of the enemy. And Paul reminds us. Again, that the schemes of the enemy, the battle of the enemy, it comes with great power and he's going right for our minds and our will. Paul doesn't want us to miss this and so he repeats this. Take up the whole armor of God so that you can take your stand. What he's saying is, you don't put the full armor on, you're not going to be able to stand. 
The armor was one that was seen by a what you'd see in his day would be worn by a Roman soldier. And without that armor, a Roman soldier in battle would die very quickly. To take your stand or to withstand, that's a military term. It's used in the New Testament to speak of an opposing force or message or idea that is coming to go against you or, or the things of God. To take a stand or withstand of an attacking enemy, we don't need more of ourselves. What we're told here is we are to put on the strength of the Lord. Why? Because we see here, the phrase he uses is because of the evil. The days are, are evil. What's he mean by that? To resist the evil day. The evil day points to the condition of the world of which it's in. We live in a fallen world. When you numb yourselves to the spiritual battle that's going on in this world, you begin to live as if this world is the only thing you have. You begin to live as if this world is the most important thing that you will ever encounter. That's not true. Uh, we, are, uh, we, we will spend eternity somewhere. And if you're in Christ, you're going to spend eternity before Christ uh, forever uh, with no pain, no suffering, no more death. Uh, it's going to be amazing. But yet, when we numb ourselves and we give ourselves to this life in, in full, what ends up happening is that we begin to be numb to the evil that's actually in this world. When we just take a moment and we look at what's going on in this world, there's a lot of messed up things that happen every day, whether it be in the natural, whether it be in the supernatural, whether it be in the physical. So this evil day, it points also that our, the church, the, the Western church, the worldwide church is maybe and perhaps even in times of extraordinary satanic attacks or satanic attacks will be coming against the church. And I believe even the church in the West, we've seen that. We've seen that with, with ideologies. We've seen that with people uh, uh, straying from the church. And we, we know this because Satan does not want the truth of, of God's word. He doesn't want people being led by the spirit. He doesn't want the gospel going out. And he'll use any tactic to kill still and divide you from advancing the gospel personally in your life. But we also see something else here. The days are evil. He, he's alluding to time. Time. Time is the most important commodity you have in your life because time you can never get back. If you lose money, you can find another job, gain that money back, right? You can have a windfall. But you can't have a windfall of time. We all have the same 24 hours in a day. I wish I could find that 25th hour. It's just not there. We have 24 hours in a day, and we can never get them back. Is a precious commodity. And Paul is saying that we're to make the most of our moments for the Lord. And Satan, likewise, he wants you to waste your moments for what you could be doing for the Lord. Distraction is a trap that many of us fall into. And so we need to take an assessment. What do I spend my time thinking about? What do I spend my time worrying myself about? What are some of the things that I entertain myself with? And how much of it is given over to God? How much of it is used to make God famous in my day? And we know we can fill ourselves up with worry. We can fill ourselves up uh, with, with a conversation maybe somebody had. And we're bouncing it back and forth in our mind all day long. And we realize we are now at 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And I haven't even said hello to the Lord yet. We know that happens. Because you're in a spiritual battle. When you get out of that bed, the battle starts. And you need to put immediately on the full armor of God. All of it. When he says the whole armor, it's not just, well, the day I'm running late, I'm just going to put the helmet on. No, all of it. Our victory is intentional. It must be intentional, which means if you're going to feel victorious, if you're going to be victorious uh, in the everyday, and if you're going to 
lay hold of the victory that's already yours in Christ, you need the whole armor on. And so Paul goes to a painstaking uh, just sketch of what the armor looks like and what it does for us. And he begins with, in Ephesians 6.14, the belt of truth. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist. It's interesting. When you think of armor, the first thing he brings up is a belt. <laughs> when I think of, like, a warrior, I'm like, man, I wonder what belt he's wearing today. Huh? No, you think of the sword. You think of the shield, maybe his, his helmet. But why did Paul start off with the belt? Well, I'll tell you, if you're ever getting up in the day and you're in a hurry, the number one thing for at least me that I forget is the belt, all right? And I remember one day, I I was going to do a honeydew list, I was going to go to the grocery store, and I was was late, and so I got up out of bed, hurry, got dressed, and I realized when I was in the car, oh, I I think I forgot my belt, right? And guys, you, you can probably resonate with this, like if you get up real quick and you don't have to look in the mirror, right? I, am I right? You're like, oh, whoa, look at my hair. Okay, whatever, okay? So I was driving to Woodman's, and that's about seven miles away from my house. And I get out of the car, and I'm like, and I'm starting to walk to the grocery store, and I'm realizing, okay, that belt is really necessary today. So I'm like, I'm holding my pants up, right? It's a problem, okay? And so, of course, I go to Woodman's, and I start pulling the shopping cart, and I realize, this isn't going to work. This is going to be a problem. I got to go home. So I went home, and I, where's all the food? Sorry, honey, I got to get a belt, or else it's going to be a problem. Now imagine, not a grocery store, but the battlefield. Listen, you're not going to be able to drop that sword. You're not going to be able to go forward if you're feeling like your pants are going to fall down in the battlefield. And so what we see here is we see the belt is called truth. Truth is the belt that holds everything up in your life. Truth specifically, what we see here is that Jesus Christ in his gospel. In fact, Jesus said it himself. He said he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. He's not a way, he's not a truth, he's not a life. He is the truth. Which means truth is not of our own making. What is true is what is true. And what is not true we call false. Today people want truth to be anything they want to make it. Your truth. It's not your truth. It's what is true. Today people want truth to be equal to how one feels. It may be true someone is feeling a certain way, but it doesn't matter how much you feel about something or how passionate you are about that something. It's if what you're feeling isn't grounded in truth, that doesn't make it true. It's false. Someone may say, well, you know, I just, I can't believe Jesus would say he's the only way. There has to be many other ways. You mean to tell me the only way to heaven is through Jesus? And we would say as Bible Christians, yes. But people, you know, trying to fit into culture, like, oh, I don't know, maybe there's this way. I'm like, I just, I feel so right about this, and I, I feel so passionate about this, that there could be multiple ways to heaven, and I, I hang out with this book club, and I have all these friends, and we all believe the same thing, and it just it has to be true, because we feel this way. Well, you may feel that way. You may even be able to say you disagree with Jesus, but just because you're passionate, just because you're, you're, you're finding uh, people that agree with you, confirmation bias, doesn't make what you're thinking or your narrative or whatever it is correct. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You can disagree with him, but you can't say that he said something different because that's your truth. It's just not true. Truth is not an opinion. Truth is not born from feelings. 
Truth is truth, and it's found in the word of God. It's found in the gospel, and it's the belt that holds us up in our battle against the enemy. Without truth, we won't stand a chance. We pulling our pants up, not, not going on offense. If we're doing this, he's going to get us right in the heart, the belt of truth. When you have your belt, next, the believers need to be covered with the breastplate, breastplate of righteousness. Ephesians 6, 14b. Righteousness, like an armor on your chest. Now this, this is more Hobby Lobby than Roman. <laughs> uh, but the Roman, the Roman armor, I, I don't know. I, I heard a pastor put it this way. He's like, they, they always had a six-pack abs, right? They put on the little plate, boop. It's like, man, you got a six-pack. It's like, it, it, was their, it was their armor plate, all right? It's kind of like when you go to Gurney Mills and you go to the, the, uh, you know, the puffy paint or the spray paint shirt shop in the middle of the hallway there, uh, in the middle of the, the mall hallway, and you're like, hey, you know, spray paint a six-pack on me, right? You've seen people maybe 15 years ago now, they, they walk around the mall and they have their six-pack like painted on them. It's like, oh, that's really funny. Well, that's kind of like what it is with the, the, right, the breastplate of righteousness. Is that look whose righteousness that you're putting on. Is it yours? No. Uh, the, it, is, it is the Lord's. The Lord God Almighty. So practically speaking, when you place your faith and trust in Christ, you're putting on his righteousness. I mean, without his righteousness, we are spiritually flabby. We, we, are, we are spiritually out of shape. And it doesn't matter how much you go on that treadmill, you ain't getting those six-pack abs that only the righteousness of the Lord that can give you. Positionally, when you place your faith and trust in Christ, you are covered in the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become, here it is, the righteousness of God. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus, he doesn't see our righteousness. He sees his. That righteousness, that's mine, is what he's saying. I want you to know how beautiful that is. Because often people think they can't approach Jesus or be used by Jesus because all they see is the scars, the bad decisions, even the things that are caught up in the present, and there's no way God can accept me. And guess what? That's why he's giving you his righteousness. Beautiful. You're taking on Christ's righteousness as ours positionally as a son and daughter if you place your faith and trust in Christ as your Savior. We put on also not only that breastplate of righteousness on a positional, like when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, he positionally gives us that righteousness, but we also live out that righteousness as an act of obedience. We're positionally made right in Christ, but when we're positionally made right in Christ, we now strive to live like Christ in every aspect of our life. Too many Christians are walking around today saying, I'm good with God. But their lives look no different, right? It's like, yeah, blankety blank, yeah, 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 got drunk over the weekend and doing this and that or whatever, and uh, yeah, but God's good. Okay? I don't think that's what Jesus looks like. I mean, here's the deal. We, we all have our hang-ups, right? We, we all mess up, right? We, we all still sin, and we need, to, we need to ask Jesus for forgiveness, right? But that doesn't mean we stop trying to be like Jesus. Because Jesus Christ went to the cross, and paid for our sins in full, our life ought to be one of gratitude, of longing to be more like the one who saved us. So putting on the breastplate of righteousness is a, is a commitment of imitating Jesus in our lives. 
All right, the next piece of armor is this. We have the belt. We have the breastplate of righteousness. Next, Paul brings up in Ephesians 6, 15, your feet are sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. Readiness with the gospel. If you're going to go the distance in a battle, you better know where you're going and why you're doing it. I can imagine when Paul was writing this, he had to have think of the, the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah uh, chapter 52, verse 7, he says this. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. Your feet bring good news. But if you don't remember why you're in a battle, or if you don't believe in the power of the gospel, you're not going to be compelled to go forward uh, in the battle. I remember during the first Iraq war, this will date me to some people, and for others, they're going to think I'm young. But during the first Iraq war, many of the Iraqi soldiers got to a point where they didn't know what they were fighting for. And at one dramatic moment, the Iraqi soldiers uh, put a, a white t-shirt on a stick and surrendered, not to the American military, but to CNN reporters. <laughs> like, we, 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 we're done. We surrender. Like, we're just reporters. We surrender. Yay, America. Yay, America. And these are guys in Iraqi outfits. It's like, what happened? They lost their purpose. They lost their vision of why they're even fighting for their side. And this is exactly what Satan wants to do to you. He wants you to forget why you're in this battle or why it's worth being victorious in different areas of struggle in your life. He wants you to surrender. And when we surrender, we need to remember what we are surrendering. When we surrender, like, it doesn't matter to follow Jesus anymore. I got Jesus on the side. You know, I, I bet, you know I'm just going to keep on doing this. Like, I just don't want to fight the battle. It's too hard. When we surrender, we got to remember what we're surrendering. We're surrendering our kids. We're, we're, we're surrendering uh, uh, freedom from vices and strongholds in our life. We're surrendering joy that's unshakable in Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ has come for you not to surrender. He has already set you free. In Jesus Christ, he is our victory. We must not surrender. There is no surrender. Satan's going to try to have you surrender. He's going to try to have us surrender, and we will not. Imagine a city where believers are not surrendering but they're going full steam ahead with the readiness of the gospel. Imagine the dark cloud that will lift over homes. Imagine trajectory of kids' lives that are going this way but are now going this way towards Christ. Imagine whole generations and a generational shift. Imagine students taking their faith as their own as early as high school. Imagine revival that cannot be stopped. God says forward motion. Satan says, no, you can't. God says, I'm more powerful, and he cannot be stopped. And we can't do it in our own strength. But you've been entrusted with the gospel. How beautiful are the feet that spread good news. Go, 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 and reach and invite. Who are you reaching in your life? That's not for somebody else to answer. God is preparing you right now within your personality, within your situation, to influence somebody towards Jesus. By the way, some of you might be thinking, man, I don't know how to really share my faith. We're going to be adding things on our apps very soon on how to share your faith. Next piece of armor is the shield, Ephesians 6.16. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. When you're about to be used by God, 
immediately the enemy is going to start taking shots. Did you get that? Immediately say, yes, Jesus, I will do what you want me to do. You better believe you just put a target on, the, on your back. And what is going to be necessary is this. You don't need to worry that the enemy is going to shoot at you. Why? Because God wants to give you a shield. Now, when you think of a shield, you often think of a shield that is this big. Not very big at all, right? And in fact, that, that's how you might be living life. Like, you get into a situation, you're like, oh, no, what do I do, what do I do? Boom, boom, boom. Like, hit this little shield, you're hoping it's not going to hit your head. But if you, you know, cover your head, then maybe it'll hit your stomach. Like, the shield's not very big. What God wants to do is do something much bigger than this little shield. In fact, the Greek word that is used for shield in this passage is a shield that's so big, it's four feet by two feet. It's literally a door. It's gigantic. You hide behind it when the arrows are coming. Does that mean that we go hide and hunker down because now the enemy's shooting arrows at us? No. Christ is our shield. Christ is our deliverer. Christ will, will keep you safe from all the demonic attacks. Christ is our shield. He is our covering and he protects us from the enemy. It's described as burning arrows. Demonic attacks are dangerous and destructive without faith in God. The flaming arrows are bombs that go after your minds, your friendship, the, the mission of Jesus, the fame of Jesus. They tell you you can't do what God can do through you. But God's saying, take up the shield of faith. What's this require? It requires you to have faith in what God can do. It requires you remembering what God has already done. And it requires you to believe what God can do in the future. He might not do it exactly how you want him to do it, but, but taking the shield of faith is understanding you can move forward even when life looks bleak. The next part of the armor we see is the helmet. The helmet of salvation, Ephesians 6, 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The helmet, it protects our heads, right? It protects specifically the mind. And there's so many messages. Uh, we learned last week we have 70,000 thoughts a day. All right? Our, we need to take every thought captive uh, unto the Lord. How do we do that? The, 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 helmet of, the, the helmet of salvation is this. It's reminding ourselves of the gospel. That when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, that you're a child of God. It means rehearsing the gospel back to us. It remembers that, that the, it reminds us of our salvation that we have in Christ. Not only from our sin, but the schemes of the enemy we are being delivered with that, we see the sword of the Spirit. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword is an offensive weapon. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. It is the Bible. Notice, there's two, there's, there's two forward motions uh, with the soldier. It is the shoes that are running, and it's the sword, which is the word of God. We need to know the word of God if we're going to be victorious. We need to understand the word of God. We, we, we need to spend time in the word of God. And the word of God, it's just amazing. It's God's revelation for your life. It's, it's God's words, his very words that have been kept uh, without error. It was written over a course of 1,500 years through 40 different individuals inspired by the Holy Spirit in a miraculous way to miraculously speak out the will of God for our lives. People try to say there's contradictions. Yet theologians will say there is no major contradiction in Scripture that cannot be explained with deep study. This is the most held-up document on the face of the planet with ancient origin. 
And it shouldn't surprise us. You want to know why? Because it's in God's character to uphold his word. It's in God's character. He said that not, not even the smallest letter would pass away until he came back. God is going to uphold his word. It is the sword of the spirit. But I want you to pay attention here uh, to the, the word word. Word of God. The Greek of this word is unique. In that it's not just reading a word and being able to just read it. It's actually understanding it. It's actually being familiar with it. So much so that when you're in battle, you can actually bring out and quote out and remember what God's word said in that situation. It's speaking out God's word. It's like what we saw Jesus do in the desert. When Satan was tempting Jesus, Jesus began to speak out scripture. And so we need to know God's word so much so that we're able to speak out scripture. And so therefore, if we're not in God's word, we need to humble ourselves in dependence of this word this morning. You won't win without it. That is the, the, uh, the armor of God. And this is usually where people stop at the armor of God. Like, all right, this is the armor of God. Got the helmet, you know, got the, got, got the shoes, got the belt, got all the, okay. And they stop. But there's one more important element. It's something that if you forget, none of this will work. It's in Ephesians 6, 18. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession. Being suited up is not enough. You can go to battle, have the right armor, have the right equipment, but if you're not listening to the right commander, you'll fail. We need to go to our commander-in-chief when we're suited up for battle. And you won't go to your commander-in-chief if you're not talking to him. That's why prayer is so important. Prayer is talking to God. Before we go into battle, while we're in battle, and after the battle, we need to pray what Scripture says at all times. How many mistakes would we have averted if we had been praying to God at all times? How many conversations or careless words would we not have come out of our mouths if we had been talking to our chief commander in the battle, right? How many times uh, do, we, do we get into a situation and you can just feel it? You can, you can feel that your heart rate going up. You can feel your eyes ready to pop out of your head. You're ready to pop off on somebody. And God's saying, pause, 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 talk to your commander. And you're like, nope. I'm going for it, and you go for it, and you're just like, oh my goodness, what just happened? It's because when you hit the pause button, pause button is going to prayer. Pray at all times. That means there'll be formal times of prayer. That means that there'll be times of prayer that you're just, you know God is with you. God is everywhere with you, right? Uh, God, God is omnipresent, which means you can talk to him at any moment. That means you can talk to him on your drive. You can talk to him when you're taking a shower. You can talk to him at your desk. God is always there. He's always online. He's not like that, that uh, chat option on some websites where you have to go to customer service. And you're, you're, you hit the box and you start typing. And you're like, ah, oh, it's a bot. Okay, it's not going to get me anywhere. Or, or then it, it, it really is a human you can get to. And so you put in all your problems or whatever you're, whatever's happening with your order. And then you, you put it all in there all to realize that the customer service rep won't be there till 9 o'clock in the morning. You're like, great. Here's the deal. God's not like that. He's always available to talk to always and here's the thing that we often miss although God loves that we talk to him and we can share with him anything that's on our heart we often miss pausing even when we're praying to listen to him 
You see, for many of us, prayer is just a ritual. It's like, okay, I got to pray. Dear God, you don't even remember half of what you said. It's, it's more like, I got to check the box of prayer ritual, and we never get to the relationship. God wants us to get to the relationship. God wants us to get to the spot that we're recognizing and realizing whom we're talking to. Prayer, prayer is much less about what I need to tell God, but what God needs to remind me and speak to me in that moment. How's your prayer life? The armor is just going to be heavy clothing without it. The armor is going to be, it's, it's going to be a burden without prayer. Prayer is your fuel. It's where you can hear from your commanding officer. We want to value prayer so much here at Kenosha City Church. It's why at the end of our services, we have people up here to pray with you. Uh, it's why at 8 o'clock in the morning, we have people going into an, a, a room in our upstairs, part of our, our building, where they begin to pray over the services. You know what's awesome? Week after week, they come up and be like, I can't believe it. The very things we were praying for, it just comes out on the stage. And I joked with them. I was like, yeah, you know the guy you're praying with? is like, yeah, I gave him my notes. I'm like, oh, man, really? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's because the Spirit of God is speaking to you. And I, I, I'm encouraged because what saying, that's great that God is saying the same thing in two different places. And that's often what prayer will do. You begin to hear God. By the way, if you want to join that prayer room, it's 8 o'clock every Sunday. But we're also going to spend in our new year, we're going to have uh, our reintroduction of our times of prayer and worship. Uh, we're having a prayer and worship nights. But it's not about events even. It's about a lifestyle. That's what's most important. We miss that sometimes. We need to pray at all times in the Spirit. The bottom line is this. Don't trust yourself. Stand under the covering of Christ. If you don't, you will end up giving into temptation like David. Running away from Jesus like Peter or living life of comfortable Christianity like the majority in the West today. So therefore, take up all of the armor of God so that you can stand. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you uh, give us this armor. That you freely give us this armor. That the helmet of the gospel, salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth that holds everything up, that the shoes that let us go forward with the gospel, your word it is all from you and it's a gift from you. Thank you. But God, I pray as we armor up, all the time with all the armor that we would never cease to stop getting our commands from you, our chief commanding officer. God, help those that are struggling today that are feeling like they're a victim of something or you know, they're living in victimhood. Free them to be a victor this morning. God, I pray that for the people that are struggling, whether it's at home, a job, maybe it's with a relationship or a friend. God, I pray that today they would not look at themselves as being a victim but they look at the victory they find in you. And because of that, there's grace to dispense in the situation. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.